We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue wire. Attention. All right, Jack, here we go. Jack, we are live once again, not for the outlet this time. We are talking Brooklyn Nets specifically, and I know you are excited. You got your Joe Harris gear on. I got my Sean Mark shirt on. We're ready to go. We're ready for this and plenty to talk about. How are you feeling? I know you were pretty high last night, and I'm not talking about on drugs. I'm talking about Joe Harris love. I mean, the Joe Harris love is a consistent, non-drug-based, natural <laughs> high that I will always be on for the rest of my life, for the rest of his existence and my rational human existence. Nick, it's it's good. I'm I'm a little out a little bit, but the the vibes, the endorphins are still running around, still feeling good, mate. That's what I love to hear. And we got another signing today, you know, some news on Jeff Green. Before we get started, as always, if you want to check us out in podcast form, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, you want to talk about Joe Harris first? You want to talk Jeff Green? What do you want to discuss? What I want to discuss first, Nick, is the following. Okay. I put out a tweet 41 minutes ago. I was watching the No Dunks podcast, and I saw the awesome Trey Kirby with his glorious beard, his awesome headband, called Joe Harris, quote, Normal looking. Now, I want to say this directly on video, not just in text form, that I am disgusted, (laughs) mortified at the lack of acknowledgement of Joe Harris's handsomeness, gorgeousness, and all-round aura. This is a war, Mr. Kirby, and I will not rest 
And yes, you've got your Tweet of the Week army and you've got your thousands of followers on Twitter and your stream teams. But Joe Harris stands, they stand for something. And we ain't going down without a fight, Mr. Kirby. Shout out to No Dunks, but shout out to Joe Harris in that four-year $75 million as that, and that damn gorgeous face. Yeah. I mean, I think Joe Harris is a good-looking guy. I mean, I feel like I would be attacking myself because we have similar you know, characteristics and having the beard, dark hair. I'd be like, you know, I guess I'm calling myself ugly here. But, no, I think Joe Harris obviously got the contract, like you said, four-year, $75 million, around 18 and change per year. You know, it's a good contract for Joe in terms of, like, he got paid. He got his money. He's going to be happy. This is life-changing stuff. You know, maybe a slight overpay, but I think in the net situation it doesn't really matter. And he's going to be as good as ever next to Katie and Kyrie. Like, we're talking about a guy that put up – amazing numbers and he's never really played with even like a true all-star you know D'Angelo Russell had that all-star appearance but like Kyrie and Katie are perennial all-stars some of the best guys in the league they're going to get different types of offensive attention and Joe's just going to get open looks I feel like it's going to be almost a little weird for him at first yeah it's I mean Joe Harris we heard the rumors of four years 72 million dollars and we sort of we were like well okay when yeah. we were talking about it in, in our off-season preview we were thinking 12 14 million dollars maybe 16 and, but we saw overpays for the maybe not overpays maybe that's just the new market. You know, Dallas yeah. Bertans five years eighty million dollars. We saw you know Jeremy Grant get a three years sixty million dollars. But we just saw Gordon Hayward get four years one hundred and twenty million dollars, and he's over thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a the market is what it is at this point in time, and Joe Harris for what he does and for what he provides the Brooklyn Nets, his importance. He is the third most important player in the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, right now, Karis LeVert is a better player individually. Spencer Dimity might be a better player individually. But what they provide, what Joe Harris provides as a role player, as a three-point shooter, as a great driver, as a good defender, as a smart high IQ player, as a savvy passer, his all-round game has leveled up. And we saw you know, real glimpses of that throughout his Brooklyn Nets tenure, really solidified that as a sort of second-best guy in Brooklyn next to Karis LeVert uh, in Orlando. And every cent he has absolutely earned. And I think that we're going to see this season, you know, Joe Harris on the two-year $60 million deal wasn't getting much attention. And there were even people back then saying that was an overpay, absolutely you know, idiotic from some national media pundits. But this four-year $75 million, you know, I think Joe Harris is going to be like, you know what, I'm going to have to prove, some, prove something here. And it's not like he needs to change anything for yeah. what he's already done. He's already one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He's already one of the most savvy straight-line drivers in the league. He's already a really good decision-maker. He's already a really good, smart, uh, middle-ring defender. You know, he's doing, he does all the right things, and, Joe, and the market dictates what the market dictates. And Joe Sy was happy. He was throwing out Andrew Yang gifts, Andrew Yang reactions. I'm happy too. Yeah, I mean, I think every Nets fan is happy about it. Like we said, you know, this is a guy they needed to retain. And I think Joe is kind of, you know, almost, I don't want to say a lucky situation because he earned it, but he's going to be in a spot where he'll probably be even regarded as a higher level of player, even if he's the same exact player he was last season, just given to the situation. But like you said, Jack, maybe he has something to prove. Maybe he can improve a little bit more defensively, you know, just get a little bit better on that area. He's not going to be, you know, ever super athletic or laterally quick, but there's probably a couple areas where he gets slightly better, but I'd be happy if he maintained the player he was pretty much for the entire length of this contract because like we said that skill set is super complementary and it can fit on any team in the league and be successful that's why so many teams are interested they just didn't have the money no and look it's not that the nets had a, a wide variety of salary cap to spend they are pretty deep in the luxury tax yeah. you know, other than the golden state warriors they are the heaviest team in there and you know if you are a championship contender you've got to be willing to pay it joe size has been making 
bank on bank on bank since uh, the, the start of the calendar year. Yep. You know, he's willing to go in there and he's putting his money where his mouth is. And Sean Marks you know, um, said that he's been a priority ever since the end of Orlando. Joe Harris has said he's wanted to be back. You know, there was we we heard the. The, the rumors and Mark signs like, you know, it's going to get done. And then we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. What's the number? What's the number? Who's yeah. going to be reporting it? And we finally saw that four years, $75 million. And, you know, I put out about a million tweets and reactions. I was doing monologues on uh, the outlet. Uh, it was a good time. And uh, I'm, I'm still equally happy. Yeah. And before we move on, Nick, I do have uh, a poem to read. I was going <laughs> to read this. Uh, I was going to read this on uh, JBT yesterday, but we've postponed our recording today. So why not, uh, why not bring it on right now? Joe Harris is back with the Nets. I now no longer have to fret. He made lots of money. I bet he tastes like honey. Oh this my God. is the freaking best. Joey Buckets back. I bet he tastes like honey. Jack, you're getting this kicked off air. You're never going to get any of you listeners again. But no, I just want to talk a little bit more about Joe Harris now and Landry Schmidt because now you have two 40% three-point shooters that you can put out there next to Katie and Kyrie. I don't think they're going to start together, but you're going to see combinations of them on the floor. And that's what the Nets really wanted when they had Alan Crabb. You know, they wanted to have this Joe Harris, Alan Crabb duo that could just light it up from three and just really open up the floor. So I'm excited to see what he can do with his new teammate. Obviously, he's going to be playing with Kevin Durant, but also just playing with another, you know, elite three-point shooter role player. There's just, like, we've talked about it. There's so many options that they can put out there. Kyrie, Katie, Joe Harris, and Landry Shamit. Like, these are all guys that can shoot from a high level at three. Like, it's tough for the defense, especially if they're able to add, you know, a Serge Ibaka, which is still an option out there that looks even more like a possibility than I ever thought it was going to be. But even if it's Jeff Green, small ball five, like we saw what he could do with Houston, there's a lot of different avenues they can, you know, attack teams, and now they have a Steve Nash and they have a Mike D'Antoni, so I expect them to be even maybe a little bit more creative than the past. Yeah, it's it's fascinating and intriguing to what the Brooklyn Nets will be on the offensive side of the floor. You know, I think that spacing is a premium in today's NBA, and if the Nets aren't one of the most efficient teams from that area, I will be shocked. And, yeah. you know, if they aren't taking at least 38, 45 shots a night, you know, if you've got Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash there, you know, Mike D'Antoni, one of the heaviest prede- heaviest predecessors when it comes to the heaviest focus um, in his offenses when, in teams that he's coached in, in recent years. Steve Nash, one of the most efficient shooters in the league, and, and he himself is like, you know what? Looking back at my career, I probably should have taken a few more. Yeah. You know, Joe Harris needs to be taken eight minimum a night. Yeah. Landry Shamet needs to be taken six minimum a night, depending on you know, how many minutes he's, he's getting out there and, and whether he is sticking with the team long term. You know, I, I think that, and you expect both of those guys to make a minimum of 40%. Yeah. And the spacing that's going to be provided if you have, like you mentioned, Jeff Green out there, even a Jared Allen, who I think provides a better vertical space than DeAndre Jordan does. Yeah. But if you have a four-out team, you know, there's years gone past where it's like Alan Crabb was our our main sort of focal point on the on the three point shooting side of things, and you know he got a similar deal to to Joe Harris did today, funnily enough, and you know we've gone full circle. Yeah. But this time around, um, it seems to me that while this is an overpay in the in the grand scheme of things, as at NBA Asians uh, wrote in the in the chat, in a vacuum, the Harris contract is better than Bertans. It's apples and oranges, you know, very, very I'll tell you what, it's probably better than Marcus Morris's. I'd be happier giving Joe Harris this money than Marcus Morris. That's just my opinion. You know, I just have a better... Joe Harris, the one thing about him is that he's super consistent, almost to the point where it's crazy, and it's like the efficient level he's able to maintain. Like, three-point shooters go through slumps. 
Joe Harris hardly ever has a slump. You know, and if he does, he's out of it very quickly. And the thing is, even if he's slumping, he's impacting the game in other ways. Where you see three-point shooters, they're not necessarily doing that. If their three-point shot is off, then they're not really doing much on the floor. Where Joe Harris is still giving you, like you said, Jack, you know, that line drive, attacking the rim, giving you some layups. You know, added a little bit of mid-range game in the bubble. We saw that a little bit, too. We talked about the increased passing and defensively in hustle plays. Like, there's just a lot of things that Joe Harris does on the court that I think, like I said, every NBA team in the league would Oh, absolutely. You know, he is one of the premium players uh, in the league today in terms of, you know, superstar role players. Joe Mm -hmm. Harris fits that mold absolutely perfectly. But we've hinted at it, Nick. Obviously, we could do Joe Harris for days and days and days on end, but we'll probably do have some other news to to touch on. And the Jeff Green signing was announced today by Sham Sarania uh, on a one-year deal, reuniting with the Seattle OKC teammate in Kevin Durant. And my D'Antoni relationship from last year. Mike D'Antoni relationship from last year, who I think unlocked Jeff Green in, in a mm-hmm. few different ways. I remember an article that Chandler uh, wrote for OTGBasketball.com in terms of you know what he did with the ball in his hands, what he did you know as a three-point shooter. Uh, I think you know Jeff Green still has uh, on event minimum deal. You know you're upgrading essentially what Wilson Chandler was. Yeah, 100%. And I think just at the vet minimum, it's actually funny enough, I put out a tweet earlier today, I said, you know, potential targets, unlikely targets, Jay Crowder, Serge Ibaka, and then I had likely targets, and, you know, Jeff Green was one of those guys. And I just even thought going into free agency, if they could land him at the vet minimum, it was just going to be such a steal, you know, and I've seen it talked about a little bit on Twitter. He kind of is going to replace some of that Wilson Chandler role. I think offensively he has more to his game defensively. Probably not as tough as Wilson Chandler and probably not as smart in terms of defensive IQ, but he is probably a little bit more athletic, so it's on the nets to kind of, you know, unlock him to the fullest potential. But I like it. You know, I think I think he's probably going to be a backup. You know, I don't think he's going to start. I know some people have mentioned that. I think he's more likely to come off the bench, especially at his age. And he gives you that four or five. Like, he really can play both. I think for the nets, if they do land a Baca, he'll play more four. But if they don't, I could see him end up playing more five. Yeah, I mean... It- you can have both of those. You yeah. would be more comfortable with Jeff Green and Serge Ibaka closing nights at the four and all five if KD's playing three or four or whatever yeah. than DeAndre Jordan you know, closing out key minutes in, in playoff rotation games, unless it might be against a Joel Embiid or, or something. And or that's why you have that. DeAndre. You know, if, he's, if, he can, if he can't bang against Joel Embiid, then his you know, use on the roster really isn't really you know, doing a ton for the Nets. But like you said, with the Jeff Green thing, closing with him even four or five, if you're closing with a five, now all of a sudden you have a really switchy lineup or you can just you know mess with different coverages. So I think there's just a lot more versatility that they didn't have last year. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you know Jeff Green just is, is provides good depth. Um, he's been on a lot of good of, teams. Yeah, as Khalil mentioned, you know, he he's got a chip himself, doesn't he? Didn't he win a chip with with Cleveland? Mm, or did he not? I can't remember if he, I, if he was one. I don't think he was on 2016. I know he was on like 17 ah. or 18, but uh yeah. I don't think he won a chip. No. Okay, well, Maybe this year. hopefully Hopefully that does change this year, and he is a key part of that rotation. You know, I think um, Wilson Chandler might be a more physical defender and a stronger defender in in that sort of respect. But I do think that Jeff Green has more offensive pop, and not to say that he's, you know, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant in that respect. But I think he's going to provide more on that end, and I think that's where the Nets' strengths do lie right now clearly offensively and what they're going to provide on that end of the floor is going to be immense now we need a a lot of tinkering to do with the defense you know bruce brown is certainly a nice piece um but at the end of the day you know bruce brown can't be your number one stopper for Giannis and lebron james and anthony davis and these sort of dudes but we'll have a chat about that a little bit later nick we've got um bha fred one said need tory craig 
you, I think, put out on your personal Twitter or the OTG Twitter. I can't necessarily remember which one it was. They rescinded the qualifying offer Correct. and could be a Nets target. Yeah, unrestricted free agent. I mean, I wouldn't mind him at minimum as well. You know, I don't think I want to use a taxpayer MLE on him, but I think if he was able to come at a vet minimum, that would be a nice add. You know, offensively, doesn't really bring much at all. Defensively, you know, he's a solid wing defender. You know, not up to the level that you can put him on LeBron because we saw last year in the postseason that didn't really work at all, but he's not a bad guy to have. It's not like my first choice, but if they added him at a veteran minimum, I wouldn't be upset. No, not at all. You know, I think that just adding rotation players yeah. that can do something is is nothing but that positive. That can play playoff minutes. Like, if you can play playoff minutes, like I was discussing something earlier with somebody, and they're like, oh, well, these guys aren't great. They should just let Rodion's play. I'm like, Rodion's is not ready to get consistent NBA minutes. He hasn't done anything to prove that he's up to that level yet. So the Nets need to find somebody they're comfortable with or they can count on to at least give them veteran minutes in the playoffs. Even if it's not great, it's almost as just like a veteran placeholder. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll, we'll see how they sort of go out with that. Um, Nate Duncan of Dunked on NBA said, Jeff Green to the Nets is one of the best-fit signings of the yeah. offseason. They really needed a small ball center option to play with KD in the front court so they can do something other than a drop coverage in the playoffs. Um, I think it's a good point because then we know that Kenny um, fell in love with drop coverage. We yep. know that Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan are quite comfortable playing that, um, just sort of hanging back. And we know that the Milwaukee Bucks do that a lot as well. But I think that you have athletes out there that can switch and that have history. You know, Jeff Green played in, in Houston. He played in a switching style defense under Mike D'Antoni. Kevin Durant did it in Golden State. You know, Kyrie, uh, I, I think they might have done it a little bit in Boston. I know that it wasn't. They did in Cleveland. Time. Did in Cleveland. So I think that to, be, to have more defensive versatility, Jeff Green certainly does provide that as well. Yeah, and not only switching, you're talking about blitzing, hedging, like there's so many different things. And the Nets have almost ran the same defense for you know so long with Kenny. You know, Jacques Vaughn switched it up a little bit, but that's what's going to be important. And we heard that a lot from you know Nick Nurse in, in terms of the Raptors versus the Bucks and Coach Bud because uh, the Bucks ran the same defense all year. So even when they tried to adjust in the playoffs, it was tough for them because they just didn't have the reps other hand you have the raptors obviously they didn't win this year they're you know a little talent deficit but they're able to adjust on the fly because they have so many schemes that they practice all year long so it's like oh nurse wants to pull this out okay guys we're good to go we ran this you know game 50 through 62 you know what i mean so there's a lot of different options and a lot more it's going to be interesting to see what the coaching staff does to be honest yeah, there's certainly going to be some creativity there. We've mentioned on previous buzzers, you know, the likes of Mike D'Antoni knows what to do sort of there. Steve Nash, we don't know what he's like as a defensive mind, but um, we know Ima Yudoka is going to bring some... He's got a lot defensive. of work to do. <laughs> he's got a lot of work to do at this point in time. I'm sure that they're just going to be looking to add some sort of defensive force in, whether that's consolidating pieces in a trade or whether that's, you know, filling out the roster in some form way. You know, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But Jeff Green, a good ad. You know, it seems yep. to me that... The Jeff Green, he also has a relationship with new assistant Royal Ivy as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the relationships and the collaboration, Nick, as we've all said all along, um, is certainly uh, bringing vibes out to Brooklyn. Even more important than ever, though, Jack, just a quick point, because of the short turnaround, having that chemistry and that relationship prior is going to be so big because, what, the season starts in a month. Like, literally a month. These guys are going to have a few weeks to get to know each other. So if there's a prior relationship, and especially a prior on-court relationship, very beneficial. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Now, Nick, in terms of James Harden news, it's gone a little bit quiet, and we heard today uh, Woj speak to SportsCenter, and people were sort of trying to analyze every single little word he said. 
what we saw was that the Nets' focus might be shifting away from the deal for James Harden and could be more focused on consolidating pieces, as we sort of alluded to, and we saw that Jeff Green deal. Now, obviously, there's plenty of things changing. There's the verbal agreement. There's not a verbal agreement. I have no idea. It's so damn hard to keep up with. Are your you at like sixty six percent? Yeah, now I'm feeling a lot less likely. Yeah, you're back, you're back to my fifty fifty or a little bit less. I think it gets a little bit less, especially because you know Houston signed Christian Wood, and we brought this up yesterday. When we were doing the outlet, Jack. You know, maybe Bradley Beal is going to be available. John Wall requested a trade. Beal, you know, there has to be some rumbling starting to cook up over there. And if I can get Bradley Beal at a cheaper price, and I don't have to deal with Houston with all their BS in which they're, you know, verbal agreements, nonverbal agreements, you know, type of thing like that, then I might just go for Bradley Beal. Like that's a good enough team to win a championship. James Harden getting him is great, but like if it's just going to drag out and kind of hold you back in different areas, it almost gets to a point where it's a risk because you can't upgrade your roster. Obviously, you want to hold out for the stars, but like I, I'm not. I'm not as confident as to what about James Harden. Like I said, you know, the deadline, the offseason, the real possibility. But to be honest, like trading for him at the deadline, it's, I have a hard time envisioning the Nets getting everything to work out quickly enough to win a championship. It would be more of like, okay, we trade for him at the deadline. We can win next year. Trying to get three players of that caliber on a, a shortened season to kind of get everything together for the postseason would be extremely tough. Yeah, look, uh, my confidence is I'm, I'm still somewhere at the 50-50 sort of range, you know. I don't know what is going on in James Harden's head, whether he still has the immense and strong desire to join Brooklyn, whether the Christian Wood deal changed his mind completely. I think a really good signing, um, in, in all honesty, you know, for in terms of just making James Harden be like, hmm, we've got some pieces here. What's Russell Westbrook going to be doing? What are his desires? Are they going to be trading him for John Wall? Or is there a three-way trade with Blake Griffin happening? I have no idea. I still think there are some things to play out. And yep. possibly the longer this goes, Nick, as we've sort of mentioned in previous pods, it could benefit the Nets. It could benefit the, the, the Rockets. Yep. Honestly, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. The Nets need to focus on what matters to them right now, and that is filling out this roster. Because right now, there's we're as guard-heavy um, as we were in Orlando and as Minnesota is right now. There's still massive holes at the three and four. And, you know, Kevin Durant and Torian Prince, you know, I'm, I'm confident in Kevin Durant, not necessarily defensively, I'm not confident in Torian Prince at all, and there's just a lot of gaps that need to be filled there. You know, Serge Ibaka is more of a five in my eyes, yep. even though you know he has he played alongside Marcus a little bit. And I guess I'm I don't want to lose track of these questions as well. Next, so I want to get back to BHA um, Fred One. He says, "What does the Ibaka signing, if it does happen, mean for Jared Allen? And what would you move him for?" Yeah. Now I had. I, you brought to me that, you know, not necessarily how much I believe Legion Hoops or Legion Ross or whatever it was, talking about that Jared Allen was taking calls during, that the, the team was taking calls on Jared Allen just before the draft. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that didn't come to fruition in any sort of sense of the word. We know Jared Allen is a really capable starter, really young, continuing to grow as a player in this league. Obviously, if a Serge Ibaka were to be acquired, he'd have to be shipped off. Yep. At this point in time, he's a ready-made player and a needed player, and he's probably our best defender on the roster with, with Bruce Brown. Uh, I guess his status is, uh, and like many other players, it's just up in the air. There's still a lot of things in flux, it seems, Nick. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting... This is kind of an element that's almost correlated to the James Harden stuff because if you get Serge Ibaka, it makes sense to trade Jared Allen. But if you trade Jared Allen as soon as you get Serge Ibaka, you just lost one of your assets that's going to make it a little harder to trade for James Harden. So that's something to consider. I mean, if I if the Nets sign Ibaka, I think you move you know Jared Allen in a deal. Maybe you try to package him with Spencer Greenwood to make an upgrade on the wing. You know, Maybe you package him with Torian Prince, try to make an upgrade in that area. You just got to upgrade. Like you said, Jack, You need, at the 3-4 position, we have Kevin Durant, you know, one of the best forwards in the NBA, if not maybe the best. And then you have, you know, Torian Prince. You have Jeff Green who can fill in that backup role. And then you have Rodions, and it's like it, you just don't feel very confident about that, especially with so many good players being in that position, even in the Eastern Conference dealing with the likes of Antetokounmpo and Tatum. You know what I mean? Those two guys alone – you need to have somebody to deal with. And we've talked about it for hours. Like, we do not want Kevin Durant having to deal with that type of pressure coming off an Achilles injury. They need to get somebody in here that can defend those guys at a high level. Like, right now, you're putting Torian Prince or Jeff Green on that, and that just does not scream confidence. No. And, look, there's a part of me that just thinks and hopes that maybe Jeff Green, sorry, maybe Torian Prince's last season, we saw moments when he was playing with Kyrie Irving, Mm -hmm. and that was the best iteration with him. Maybe having Kevin Durant Durant alongside him allows him to provide, you know, he he just has the prototype. He has some tools. He does. And, like, you know, I remember, like, the... This is harking back to a long time ago, the the game in China against the Los Angeles Lakers and him <laughs> you know, defending Anthony Davis in the post. And I'm like, hmm, there's something here. And obviously the inconsistency is is, is abound with, with, with Toy and Prince. But yeah, the Nets need to consolidate and, and losing the likes of Mo Harkless off the market. You know, it was revealed to me, you know, he had a, a prior negative relationship with Jacques Vaughn. So I... I regret putting it out there, to be honest. But I, I, still, I still thought like, it was a possibility, though. I know like the bad relationship was there, but it, it doesn't, didn't rule it out completely. It made it less likely, but I still think that it was a possibility. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, um, so we've got a couple of questions, Nick. And yeah. I hate to keep jumbling back and forth, but this I is why I like, I, I, I like doing the live ones because of this. Uh, we had uh, Dark Knight 27 could you see a wall for Russ trade? Now, we talked about it a little bit more on the outlet. Check that out on YouTube, at OTG Basketball, uh, if you want to get up, see us more, get in-depth about the general NBA stuff. 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be more efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only site that moves as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet Online. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win the season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. But we can look at it from the net side of thing, I guess, Nick. I guess, I guess, Nick. Would a wall for Russ trade push James Harden further out of Houston? What What are your thoughts on that and how it sort of would affect the Brooklyn Nets and their chances for in terms of getting James Harden? Yeah, I think it would. I think like James Harden looks at that and you're giving me a downgrade because I don't think anybody can really anticipate John Wall coming back and being better than Russell Westbrook. And like we talk a lot about Westbrook, I'm not his biggest fan, but he's still a very good player. The problem is is his fit in systems. You know, maybe John Wall could fit a little bit better in Houston, but we have no idea what to expect. There's a guy that hasn't played basketball in a very, very long time. So I think it would kind of help push him out a little bit more. Or like I said, it could even make things a little bit more likely for the Bradley Beal front. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to that in a little bit. I've got a couple of dot points I wanted to touch on. I certainly think it wouldn't hurt because you lose, you know, I, I think, I don't know whether it's more Westbrook doesn't want to play with Harden or Harden doesn't want to play with Westbrook anymore mm-hmm. or Harden just, his desire is just championship or bust and he doesn't see that happening in Houston anymore despite, you know, Jeff Green is a loss. Robert Covington is a massive loss. PJ Tucker wants to get his money in some form or another. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of instability there in Houston, and that's not to say that there's massive stability and you know bona fide championship odds in in Brooklyn. But I think that they are greater than what they are in Houston uh, at this point in time. Um, also from Dark Knight 27, Nick Claxton takes a step. So we haven't even mentioned as uh, Nicholas Claxton as a sort of four or five, more of a five in my eyes. Could you see him sort of, if if Jared Allen were to be moved, you know, him sort of taking a step up and playing some pinch hitting minutes and, yeah. and, you know, those moments that we saw from him this season, you know, him continuing to move a step forward. His hair's looking damn good right now. Yeah, I mean, I know you are you got that on lock. Um, but, um, yeah, I like Claxton. I mean, we talked a lot about his tools. It's really just the development. When he was drafted, he was very raw. But we saw some flashes last year of him maybe being able to play NBA minutes sooner than anticipated. So the tools are there for him to be a really good defender and even a guy that could defend fours. Like, I wouldn't rule that out of the possibility. It's just like he's just unknown to us because we haven't seen him on the court. He wasn't in the bubble. You know, we didn't see him in Orlando at all. So it's like the only people that know how good Nick Claxton is are the Nets and his teammates. You know what I mean? They've been seeing him and they've been seeing the improvement. So it's really hard for us to know where he's at in his development. I mean, I hope that he's progressed because if he has, that's an option that you can have at the 4-5. And I feel like if his shot has developed, he could even play the 4 a little bit more because defensively, I was really impressed with his switchability as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, he's called Chris Bosh, mini Chris Bosh. And the, the, the draft comparisons are... You know, are a little bit fun. flawed. <laughs> they're fun. They're fun, and they're flawed in a lot of ways. And you know, I personally think that he is—he's great, and I, I see a lot of potential in him. You know, out of the the young guys on the roster that we have right now, and you know, Kuroots and you know other sort of guys there, Chioza, um, I think that he is a guy that would add more value that, than those two um, for next season, just because of the the intangible tools that he has as an athlete and all the things that you mentioned defensively, offensively. I think he provides good energy, and and I think sometimes you just need those spurts from young yep. guys 
Um, and, and Especially in a, like a season where everyone's going to be tired. Like the short turnaround, obviously Katie and Kyrie won't be, but DeAndre is still an older guy. You want to get him some reps off. Even Serge Ibaka, Jeff Green. Like, And to be honest, if the Nets are as good as they're supposed to be on paper, they'll be in a lot of blowouts. Like there are going to be a lot of games where they're just destroying teams and they're up by 20. And that's options for Nick Claxton to play and get some reps in and prove that he deserves, you know, rotation minutes. Yeah, look, in, in, in that respect, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. We have a couple more questions, yep. Nick. Um, at end, the Brick DeVito, could Dinwiddie and Allen be moved in a deal that's not for Harden? Now, we've also got another James Harden question that we'll get to just after that. But could you? we sort of touched on it a little bit, Nick. Would it have to be a semi-premium wing? You know, a name that comes to mind, obviously, is Aaron Gordon. I think it's an overpay to trade both of those guys yep. for Aaron Gordon. You know, if you replace one of them with Prince, then I think it makes a lot more sense. Uh, even then, Dinwiddie is still a better player uh, than Aaron Gordon, and maybe there's to be pick swaps in return. But someone in that ilk, a guy that fills in lead, you've sort of mentioned. Uh, I, I certainly could see them being moved. We, we've talked about before Dinwiddie's been linked to the Dallas Mavericks. You know, he's sort of putting himself out there on the market. And because the Nets, are obviously, he's been an expiring contract. You know, yep. he's going to want to get paid. And there's only so much money that our Joe side does have to spend on this Brooklyn Nets team. So I don't expect him necessarily to be a Brooklyn Nets going forward unless there were to be some other finagling going around and Karis LeVert were to be moved in a Bradley Beal trade or, or whatever else it might be. But what are your thoughts on a Dinwiddie and Allen package um, that's not for Harden? Yeah, like you said, Jack, you nailed it. It has to be someone who's, you know, a premium wing. That's probably under 26 years old. You know what I mean? You want somebody who's youngish because if you're trying to flip that to the Rockets at the deadline, they have to want that, you know, player. So that's what you have to consider too. Or maybe you just say, you know, screw, screw Harden. Maybe that's something we'll worry about in the offseason or another time. And we just, you know, go after a player that we think is going to help this specific team win and get to the next level. Because I think also, and I've done this too myself, is like thinking about the Harden thing, it's so great and you can have a dynasty. But let's not ignore the team we have in front of us. They're not far from being the best team in the NBA. You know what I mean? They don't need James Harden to be the best team in the NBA. There's other moves they can make around the edges that could turn them into the best team in the league. I mean, even the small moves we've talked about, you know, Bruce Brown, uh, Landry Shamit, Jeff Green, like these are all really good moves that just kind of secure the Nets' depth. Like the only thing this roster is truly missing, I would say, is like an elite starting four, you know, like a, a, a true power forward that can start on a championship team. And if they can find a way to add a player like that, they'll be in amazing shape because they're covered at point guard. They have Kyrie Irving. They're covered at shooting guard with either Kara Savert or Joe Harris. Small forward, we got Kevin Durant. And then power forward, we got the gap. And then five, we got DeAndre. And then, you know, Jeff Green, a small ball, and possibly Serge Ibaka. I mean, you could say they need an upgrade at center, but I don't think center is such a premium position that it really matters in a championship run, long as you can kind of just have someone that can hold their own. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I'm really hoping that's, uh, Bruce Brown isn't asked to do like a Travion Graham role and play like some four and stuff. Yeah. You know, I hope he's just... I hope he's just one-two. Like, one-two is what makes sense for him. Occasional three if it's, a, you know, maybe like a Brandon Ingram where he's, you know, a skinny small forward. But like at the most part, like let him play in a position of power where he's had a lot of success defending literally the best guards in the league from Kyrie Irving to James Harden. James Harden, yeah, like literally James Harden. That video was going viral in, in a lot of ways of him guarding and locking down James Harden. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing. And we can touch on that a little bit later. Um, what else have we got? Um, at New York Bootleg, just tuned in. So, pardon if you've already tackled it, but how do you feel about Harden? I guess we'll finish off the – we can obviously revisit it at some point in the pod if we get some more questions. But he, the percentage, Nick, you was at 65%. You're a big percentage man. 
Are you still above 50 or are you winding I'm, lower? I'm joining that- you. I'm joining you. I'm going in the 50-50 club, I guess. I, I just There's just something about uh, Houston and Furtada, your boy, uh, and, and what he does. And just like, I don't know, everything there just feels so stupid. Like I'm not trying to like hate on an organization or anything, but they did all these things to try to make it look like they were spending money and really they were just saving money. And, yeah, they got Christian Wood, but they got rid of Robert Covington. Like I just think the Rockets are a mess and like – it's almost like so toxic that it almost doesn't make sense for the Nets to kind of try to trade with them because they don't even know what they want and they're just flipping, flopping, going back and forth and everything. So just a, it's a really shitty situation for the Nets to have to deal with the Rockets here. Yeah, and we saw Sean Marks speaking. You know, he doesn't give a lot away, and there's a lot of people overanalyzing the things that he says. And, you know, the gorgeous Kiwi accent's just lovely to listen to no matter what at any Relaxing. point in time. Uh, it is. It's just soothing. Um, much more soothing than my thick Australian uh, accent that's going along on, on these buzz episodes. I feel episodes, like yours but... is starting to like Americanize a little bit. Like I almost kind of don't notice. I swear, like sometimes the Australian accent it doesn't really hit me sometimes unless it's certain words. Yeah, James Harden and Bradley <laughs> Beal. Nick, who do you think would be a... Um, that okay. wasn't too bad. That was better than that time you tried it with me and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to just do the American accent for the rest of the episode. Nah. Um, we've before. And in fact, you know, James Harden or Bradley Beal, Nick. Now, the packages would likely would it be less for Bradley Beal? I think that you could keep Spencer Dinwiddie if you trade for Bradley Beal. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I think maybe they're just not that interested in him, and like, I just think Bradley Beal is still not the same level of player James Harden. James Harden is one of the top five players in the league. He's an MVP candidate. Bradley Beal had his best season last year. He wasn't even in the MVP conversation. Couldn't get his team to the playoffs. Yeah, they did. They were terrible, but like, it's still a difference. Like, if you put James Harden on the the Wizards, like, they probably are making the eight seed in the in the Eastern Conference. Like, that's how good he really is. Bradley Beal is not that level of player, so I think you could, you know, get away with giving less. Then I also think you could get give away less draft picks. Where I feel like Houston is just going to be so crazy. Like I feel like it's a minimum of three picks and two swaps. Like that's a minimum. I wouldn't be surprised if it was four picks and two swaps. Where I feel like, you know, Washington, you send Karis LeVert, you send Jared Allen, you probably send Torian Prince to match salaries, and you send maybe three first round picks and a swap or something like that. And you're maybe able to put protections where like. Houston just has so much power because Harden is such a great player. Even though they don't have leverage, he's still an MVP level player. Where Bradley Beal's not in that conversation. No, no, not at all. And so, look, we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out with James Harden. I'll ask you, Jack, if you could get James Harden or you can get Bradley Beal and keep Spencer Dinwiddie, which one would you rather do? Oh, it's a good question. Um, Probably Beal with Dinwiddie because... You could always flip Dinwiddie at the trade deadline for another player, too. Yeah, I think it gives you more assets to be be flexible. Beal's younger, and you can sort of... uh, I think he's sort of... He's like superstar insurance like sort of James Harden is, but you don't necessarily mortgage your future like we sort of mentioned on on, on previous episodes. And like like, you said, Beal's 28, right? Yeah, no, I think he's 27. Okay, then boom. I think he's... I think he's like the same age, if not maybe only a year older than Carol Savert, you know, and, and and Spencer Dimity. They're all around that sort of same age, so it's not like you're giving. And James Harden's like 31, mm-hmm. now 30, 31, and yeah, 31. You know, obviously, it's two years left on his deal. Obviously, you know, Bradley Beal's talked about you know him trying to give himself flexibility going forward. That situation could play out in a lot of different ways. We could see some Woj bombs dropping certainly soon, and maybe have to do another uh, emergency Brooklyn buzz. But Nick, we'll get one to more search. point, Jack. I'll just say this: you feel a lot yep. better about extending Bradley Beal on his next contract than James Harden. As good a player as James Harden is, by the time he's signing his next deal, he's 33, 34. You know, Bradley Beal is you know 30. I think he has two years left on his deal. He's 30, 31 or 29. 
and you you know you're getting him for his prime. Where James Harden, you're overpaying him at the end of his prime because that's just what you have to do with superstars. That's it. That's it. You just gotta overpay. You're gonna see some ugly deals in the likes of Russell Westbrook, John Wall, these sort of deals. Chris Paul not necessarily as ugly, but still you know extending. It still hurts the team his, building. Yeah, and in the late 30s especially. So oh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that all turns out. But Nick, we'll, we'll change tack to Serge Ibaka and. After that Instagram post, not much has changed. And obviously, we've seen the Toronto Raptors re-sign um, Fred Van Vliet. We've seen other teams make moves around the wings in terms of, you know, the Lakers getting uh, Montrez Harrell. Other teams that are sort of in the market, you would probably expect the Clippers or the Nuggets, but the Nuggets have retained Paul Millsap and assigned to Michael Green. I think maybe the Clippers might swoop in here. We could see the Raptors obviously retain him. And we could see, you know, the friendship, uh, the best friendship, as uh, Serge Barker has said, Maybe that is what lands him for the taxpayer MLE, uh, and he's willing to take unders to kick around in Brooklyn. And the flight tracker, uh, we saw that. I was talking about that on the buzz. Um, I'm sorry, not on the buzz on the outlet. We've done a lot of podcasts the last couple of days. A lot of um, hours on the streaming platform. A lot of hours on the streams, my dude. A lot of hours on the streams, my guy. But your confidence, is it strengthening weakening, bring it now in relation to Sergi Baca. Yeah, it's strengthening. I mean, I thought it was a, a pipe dream. I've mentioned that numerous times across the year in the offseason, but the more suitors that get scooped up by other things, like you said, the Lakers, Montrezl Harrell, you know, the Rockets with Christian Wood, like the Denver with Millsap and Jermichael Green. Now you're looking at the Clippers. You're probably looking at the Celtics. You're looking at the Raptors. Even Miami was a possibility. Miami, I think, used a lot of their space with uh, the signings they made today, too. So you have to feel a little bit more confident as the Nets, especially if it's Serge Ibaka just looking for maybe a one- or two-year deal where he's like, you know what, I'm just going to go look for another chip, and then I'll cash out after this contract. Like, that that's what gives you, you know, some hope here. And like you said, the relationship with Kevin Durant is great. And, I mean, other than the Clippers, like, if he signed with the Celtics, they have a good chance of contending, but not the same level probably as the Nets. And even though the Raptors retain Van Vliet, like, I think everyone kind of expects him to maybe take a step back in the East next year. Yeah, look, there's a – I think Serge Ibaka, if he were to take a two-year deal and sort of maybe make it a, a player option in that final year just to give him some insurance yep. uh, heading into the free agency market, that would probably make a lot of sense to me uh, if, if he were to land in Brooklyn. But at the same time, you know, is it, we've seen a lot of other players. You know, Paul Millsap valued the stability of Denver, getting a little bit of a one-year payday, and also the fact that, you know, his family wanted to stay there. What are Serge Barker's priorities? You know, the flights say that they landed in Dallas as well, and it was Dallas or, or Brooklyn. Now, Dallas could be uh, a team that swoops in there. You know, yeah. Some, uh, there's, there's a, I think there, there could be teams that swoop in. You know, he's a great player, and he will provide winning plays on he's one of the side. best players left right now i mean i don't have don't have the free agent tracker in front of me but he might be the best player left i'm not 100 percent sure like i said i was a little mia today but was able to catch up quickly yeah look uh serge barker would provide so much to, to this brooklyn nets team it'd just be absolutely awesome to see him in the black and white for real and not on a goddamn photoshop um we'll have to wait and see how it sort of turns out but you know his value as a three-point shooter as a spacer you know, I think that he's really grown there. It's crazy because he used to be like the mid-range master when yep. he was in OKC, and he's just diversified his game into. The run, crazy so. thing is, if he had a three-point shot when he was in OKC, they probably would have won a championship. Like they probably, yeah, maybe won two just because of the spacing he would have gave. You know, Westbrook, who was you know having issues, and Stephen Adams, who only played inside too. So like, Serge would have been perfect if he had this game in OKC. But it could be great for the Nets, or like you said, including Dallas, that'd be ideal because you have KP there who can play four or five. 
I mean, it's really going to come down to what Serge Ibaka wants, and no one really knows. Would it surprise me if he signed a one-year deal with Toronto for, like, an overpay of 15 or $20 million? No, it would not. Yeah, and look, you know, we like we sort of mentioned, we have no idea what his priorities are. And out of, I guess, those teams, Nick, Toronto, Brooklyn, and Dallas, who do you think has the greatest championship possibilities? Um, I think all of them have... I have a case to to make for for Serge in that sort of respect. Obviously, I think Toronto other... would probably be a little bit below the other two teams because I just it's hard to see them get over the hump. Like, what's going to change from this year to next year that's going to make them beat the Celtics in a playoff series or beat anybody else? You know what I mean? There's still the offensive issue that's not going to change unless you know OG develops a different part of his game, Siakam gets a lot better, or something like that. So like. I think it's more enticing for him to come to Brooklyn because obviously you have a straight championship opportunity with KD and Kyrie right off the bat. But Dallas has some intrigue, and there's probably less pressure. You know what I mean? Dallas isn't expected to win a championship, but they add Serge, they're like approaching that contending area. But still, it's hard to get there in the West. So if I'm Serge and I really want to get another chip, I'm probably staying in the East, and the Nets make a lot of sense. I'd consider the Celtics you know, over the Raptors, honestly, in terms of like contending teams. Like I think that would make more sense. Yeah, and looked obviously with the departure of uh, Gordon Hayward. Who, they who have knows, their full but... mid-level exception, I believe, so they could offer yeah. them a nine mil, which is a difference. But no yeah, friends over look, there. Um, at BKN underscore says we take questions. You guys take questions, absolutely, mate. So jump in the chat if you Drop want 100. to answer. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll take absolutely any and all of the questions that you guys are willing to throw in there. We're just chatting some Sergio Barker now. I, I agree with you, Nick. I think. Dallas are a really sneaky championship contender in my eyes. You know, I think what the the moves that they made at the draft and behind the scenes adding a Josh Richardson, I thought was a really nice move for them to solidify their defense. They have just great size. I think they match up well with a team like the Lakers. Um, But the Nets, obviously, the East is going to be an absolute shit show. It's going to be a massive fight. If we get Kevin Durant back at, at his best, Kyrie Irving stays at least semi-healthy throughout the season, yep. then I think the Nets are have as good a shot as any of the other teams. I think there's you can make a case for five, four or five teams in the East that could uh, easily come Philadelphia out of there. Philadelphia got a lot uh, better, too. I think they're they probably did. The, That's what I mean. the scariest team for me. Like, I, Milwaukee, yeah, they added Drew Holiday, but they also, like, destroyed their depth, which I think is going to hurt them in some aspects. And I, I just i am not super confident in Coach Bud in a playoff series. Like, is he going to be able to adapt magically after not being able to do it for the last five years? I really don't think so. So I think, like, Boston is scary because, like, Jason Tatum could take another jump. Jalen Brown could take a jump. They have a ton of young guys on the bench. So that's, like, a team to worry about. But Boston, Philadelphia, Toronto in my eyes, a little bit lesser. Milwaukee probably got a little bit better, but not to the point where I think they're, like, so much better. And then Miami, they're going to be riding pretty high. Like, they're still probably not as talented as the teams I just mentioned, but they're just, like, based off the confidence they had last year in their team cohesion and their, their mindset and their leader in Jimmy Butler – they're going to probably have a good year too. So like you said, Jack, the East is going to be tough, but it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, we've got a um, at PIP22332 Nets. Why the rush to move Allen? I just don't get it. Look, based on Jared Allen, the player, I, I love him so much. We I, love to keep I've him said, over DeAndre Jordan. Oh, so much. I'm, I've said this before on Twitter um, that I'm just like, look, I wish he wasn't friends and we could just keep Jared Allen because he – and, I mean, you obviously have to pay him the extension money as well. There's a lot of things to consider yep. in that sort of realm. But, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So, hopefully, we were, we do keep him. Um, what else? And I'll say here? this. It's just hard to lock up a lot of money to your center position. Like, if you mentioned it, Jack, with the extension coming up, he's looking at probably $15 million. Like, that just seems like a likely number for him. You know, maybe you could convince me 12 Maybe you convince me 18 Then you have $20-plus on your center rotation, and neither guy is an all-star. 
You know what I mean? Like Jared maybe can become an all-star, but it's still no guarantee because his offensive game hasn't necessarily taken major strides. So it's like they're both good players and good centers, and Jared Allen obviously has a lot of potential, but like the Nets are still in championship mode, and that's one of their best assets. And they, they have at least somebody who can somewhat fill his role. You know, DeAndre Jordan can't do all the things that Jared Allen can, but he can do a good chunk of them. Um, we've got a couple of questions. Some of them are non-Nets related, so I, I won't touch on them. I'll wait for them for like JBT or the outlet. Um, why is Philly better? We'll tackle that, I guess, from the Brooklyn perspective, Nick. Well, I think Daryl Morey, I think Doc Rivers, that sort of leadership from top to bottom, mm-hmm. I think is just better. There are more, there are less questions about, you know, Steve Nash is a first-time head coach. Doc Rivers, yes, um, if they go up 3-1 in the in the playoffs, uh, I'm going to be very worried about them. Yeah. Um, even 3-2, you know, Doc Rivers is, isn't great at holding on and leading uh, teams to leads in the playoffs. Any game in- seven for him just hasn't really been good. No, not at all. But, you know, in terms of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, you know, Seth Curry, I think that the the chemistry of that team and the on the court looks like it will be a bit more seamless. And I think that Dwight Howard is a backup big. Uh, it's going to be funny seeing him in the locker room. Uh, but I think that they just have some some bits and pieces and some less question marks about their roster than I think the Brooklyn Nets do right now. You know, obviously, I think both of them are two, three, four, or five, you can chuck a dice and sort of go, all right, this team is probably going to have a better odds. The Nets have way higher upside because if you have Kevin Durant at full full fitness, he's the best player in the NBA. But Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as a pairing you know, are better than a semi-healthy Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving who played 20 games last season and hasn't played more than 70 games. I can't remember since when it's rookie season or something like that. Yep. So, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I think see. that's an interesting conversation. You know, KD and Kyrie versus Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You obviously have the two more established guys and the young guns trying to approach. And I think Embiid still has some questions to answer, too, entering the season. Conditioning wasn't great last year. You know, just some attitude in general. And I'm a big Embiid guy, and I want him to be great, but he just didn't kind of live up to it. And like you said, though, Jack, Philly got better you could even make an argument maybe they lost some talent but they upgraded because the fit is a hundred times better like looking at their starting lineup it makes sense you have Seth Curry you have Danny Green you have Ben Simmons you have Tobias Harris and you have Joel Embiid and you know you add some nice pieces to the bench you're in really good shape I don't think they're the best team in the east but I just think they're going to be a lot better than last year oh big time big time big time big time um at m-o-i-n-e-1109 would you guys like Tory Craig in the team if he took a minimum or some cheap or some other cheap contracts um, Nick, you sort of alluded to Tory Craig a little bit earlier. What is his game, and what did you see of him in Denver, and what could he provide this Brooklyn Nets team? I remember talking to a Denver beat writer about him before, and they're just saying like, sometimes when you play offense, you're playing four on five because teams don't respect Tory Craig. Like he's just one of those guys that doesn't have a consistent jump shot. You know, he might have a game where he hits a couple. Defensively, like he's a better defensive player, but he's still not good enough to go against you know the top level wings. Like I mentioned, you know, in the playoffs against LeBron. He cooked him. You know, same thing would happen against Giannis. Same thing would happen with Kawhi Tatum. Like, he's still a good body. He's like an option you can throw out. But, like, for vet minimum, that's not a bad player to have. He's just not a guy that you can necessarily, like, count on to be a super impact player. On this roster, given that they have so much offensive firepower, you could get away with putting a Torrey Craig on the court at certain times. You just don't want to depend on him to be your starter. Yeah, I mean, him and, and Bruce Brown are sort of depth defensive rotation pieces. Don't hate it. And at least but Brown has feel- upside. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and I, I don't. Uh, there are obviously some things missing, and getting to that at, at BKN underscore says, other than a Barker or Harden, what are we missing? 
um, at Crimson Striker says wing defender at the three. Yeah, the, basically it's the big thing. Wing it's defender that's three four. Like that's what I want. I don't want specifically a three. They have to be able to defend the three four because it's just like you're gonna bounce back and forth between a Tatum and a Giannis or a LeBron. Like there's still a big difference in the the amount of physicality, even going from Paul George to Kawhi Leonard. You know what I mean? Like. I, you could convince me a shooting guard could deal with Paul George a little bit, but Kawhi is physically tough where you need someone that has some muscle. Oh, big time. He's he's a body and he, he has immense strength. And, you know, Giannis is going to be a, a dude that they're going to have to worry about as well. Um, who would be your dream fit, Jack? Like, who would be a oh. guy that you could think of? I don't think there's any free agents that we'd want right now at wing, but trade-wise... I mean, the only trade I can think of, Nick, off the top of my head is Aaron Gordon, but I wouldn't want to give up a heap for him. And they just uh, out- turned down two first-round picks for Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I mean, maybe Larry Nance. I think Larry Nance played some three for the Cleveland Cavaliers last year, and I think he can... I think he could probably a- defend threes a little bit, and then, like, on offense, he plays more of a four. I think he's he's good laterally. He's a great athlete, and I think that's where he can provide... And he can play you some saw small murder Brooke Lopez once in person, didn't you? Yeah, that was um, that was a moment um, where I'll never, never forget. And I remember after the game, Brook Lopez runs up to him and it's just like, my guy, he's sort of like just punching him and, and, and jesting with him. So, yeah, for me, I, I think Larry Nance and Aaron Gordon are two guys off the top of my head. Um, I think that both of those two, for whatever price, I think you might be able to get Nance cheaper. Yeah. Um, uh, it, uh, it depends. You know, both of those guys would have to be in some form of a trade. You know, maybe if you attach uh, some first rounders, um, with the Toy and Prince contract, you know, they don't necessarily have a pure threes like a Toy and Prince sort of is. You know, I think that those guys make a lot of sense. We need a three or a four. Those are the two names that come to mind that were spoken about on, on the Brooklyn Buzz, you know, free agency and, and our trade series. But are there names that stick out to you, Nick, before we, uh, you did give me your answer? At BHA, Fred one said Nets should have grabbed Rocco. Would have been perfect, my guy. I was just Ro- going to say, the Harden, this is an area where the Harden thing kind of messed everything up because now you can't really trade, you couldn't trade for Robert Covington and you really didn't have to trade a ton. Two first round picks, which is kind of a lot, but not for the Nets. And then also, like, really trading for PJ Tucker just seems a hundred times less likely given the relationship between these two franchises right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was a big Chris Dunn fan as well. And to seeing him go to Atlanta for two years, $10 million, I'm like, man. Bruce Brown's going to fill that role, though, perfectly. And I think he, he will. He I think will. He's, I'm higher on Dunn, though. I think, I think Dunn, Bruce Brown has – I have more confidence in Bruce Brown being a better offensive player, like in actually being competent on that end, where Chris Dunn hasn't – like he has, he can't really do anything offensively. His jump shot is bad. At least Bruce Brown, there's hope for it. Yeah, uh, I think that Dunn's like all defense caliber. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit higher on it. There's just guys that we, we stand for, and Chris Dunn's one of those dudes. Uh, any other names that sort of spring to mind, Nick? Um, I mean, I think maybe we'll just kind of wait as free agency progresses and see which yeah. teams are kind of getting pushed towards the bottom. You know what I mean? Those teams are going to be a little bit more likely to make some trades than some of the teams, you know, at the top. Or It's just tough because every team that's contending wants to keep their wing. You know, they want to keep their defensive wing. You know, Maxi Kleba is a guy that defended fours a little bit in the postseason. He defended Kawhi a little bit. You mentioned the Spencer Dinwiddie ties to Dallas. That's, you know, something oh, that was something. rumbling. But that, right. yeah, but that that doesn't really match up for the Nets in terms of Dinwiddie for Kleba. Like that, you know, Dinwiddie's still a better player. Yeah, it's look. There's a there's not. It's the most premium position in the league, and that, there is a reason why 
there, there aren't names aplenty around there because most teams have those guys locked up and solidified. You know, Kelly Oubre is, is a nice player. Obviously, he's on. He's with the uh, Golden State Warriors now. Maybe you know somewhere in OKC, there's a there's a wing behind the scenes that we don't know about. And you know, he want, and uh, Sam Presti wants another number one pick. Couple more comments. Nick at BKN underscore says Rashan. Richard Holmes, it's Rashawn Holmes from the Kings. Intriguing. Now uh, he's a five. I don't think he makes a lot of sense for the Nets. Um, at GCNHM, you think Houston accepts the trade if we find a way to get Brad Beal and flip him? That'd be interesting if, if Bradley Beal were to go to Houston and then James Harden. If there's a sort of three-way deal and then like Washington were to get, you know, Carol Savard and, and and Spencer Dinwiddie and stuff. Is there a three-way machination that works there, Nick? I mean, in some ways I get it, but like at the same time, it's like, wouldn't you just give the same package to Houston for James Harden? You know what I mean? Exactly. I guess like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of tough. It's just like, then you just end up spending more picks. And like, at what point is it like, okay, we'll just keep Bradley Beal. And then you guys could just keep trying to overcharge us for James Harden, who you have no leverage with. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, um, that's something that we'll have to be keeping an eye on. And the, the James Harden news won't go away. And it's not um, Nets related, but I want to bring this up. Like we saw a situation with the Celtics and them trying to overcharge the Pacers for Gordon Hayward in a sign and trade scenario, at least based off reports. And now the Celtics got nothing. So if you're Houston, obviously it's not a sign and trade. James Harden's contract's not about to run out, but you have to understand when you have full leverage and when you do not have full leverage. Yeah, very, very true, mate. Very, very true. Um, obviously, there's names that we will be keeping an eye on. Let me see what I got next on my dock. I guess. It sort of relates to the next question, Nick. What is next for the Brooklyn Nets in free agency? Obviously, Serge Barker is the name. I was scrolling through the names that I had written down. You know, Aaron Baines is still a fit. I put out that Andre Roberson, as a guy who's just a, a vet minimum sort of dude, I know you're not the biggest fan, but you know the likes of Patrick Patterson and James NSD sort of guys, Wesley Matthews, they've all signed. Glenn Robertson's still there. Mark F. Morris, I expect to probably go back to, to Los Angeles. Tamari Carroll on a vet minimum, maybe. There aren't a lot of names left on on on, on that are really you know, the the solidified sort of pieces, the likes of maybe Aaron Gordon or Larry Nance that would really sort of make the Nets a, a much better team. But yeah, and like a lot also, of those guys you brought up too is like you don't even probably want to use your taxpayer MLE on them, or maybe you just use a portion of it because you don't want to go into luxury tax for like one of these guys and give them an, an overpay of a contract. Like most of the guys you mentioned, I think could be had for vet minimum except Baines. Which in like, yeah. and I'm not even sure you like really want Baines because like we said, you had a center, you're probably trading Jared Allen. Like, which guy do you prefer to have? Like, yeah, Baines has a three point shot, but he still doesn't provide you like the mobility you get with Jared Allen in comparison to DeAndre Jordan. Good point. Really, really good point, mate. So, I mean, there were names on your list. I know you I'm trying to think. Trip. I know. I've, I've like so many free agents have gone through my head that like I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the I, I don't that I think that four team deal last night broke me the most. I was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on with the NBA anymore. Um, but yeah, for the for obviously the the focus for the Brooklyn Nets seems likely still to be Serge Barker. And when once that is done, you know they need to fill out the roster a little yep. bit and, and solidify and get get a three or a four. Ever since we started this podcast like three years ago, the Nets need a four. The Nets need a four. The Nets need a four. Now. Didn't, um, we're likely to see Batum, you know, probably out for a, a vet minimum. Obviously, after he is um, stretched. What do you? Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on him? You know, and and a, a Trevor Ariza as mm-hmm. well. Um, obviously, in OKC, I expect him to probably be available. Are those two names that interest you at all? Yeah, I mean, at vet minimum, why not? It's just another three, four filler. Not you don't have to lock these guys into the rotation. Let's see what they have in the tank. I mean, Batum. 
Part of me feels like he was just depressed playing in Charlotte. You know, part of me obviously saw the decline with the injuries, but he is only 31 years old, which I was kind of mind blown when I yeah. read that. I thought he was like 34, 35, but like maybe there's some hope he can be a, a solid player. You know, he's a good uh, basketball IQ. Like he still has good length. He doesn't have the athleticism that he once had, and three point shot is kind of varied, but I wouldn't hate it. Trevor Reza, we've talked about him a lot before. You know, solid vet, past his prime, you know, a little bit washed right now, but in a small role, wouldn't be the worst. Yeah, I mean, out of those two names, who would you prefer? Batum, because I think there's upside there. I think that you could get more out of Nicholas Batum than you'd anticipate when you signed him just because of, like, he's had no reason to be a very good player the last couple seasons in Charlotte. You know, even when Kemba was there, like, they still weren't great. Like, there's a different type of motivation for him to get back into a deep playoff run. Like, he had a couple deep runs early in his career with Portland, I believe, and now he hasn't really done much other than go to the playoffs, I think, once or twice with Charlotte. Yeah, look, uh, there's things that could happen. You know, I used to I, love I, Nicholas Batum, and I'll just put that out there. When he was on Portland, I loved his game. He was a really great athlete, super raw, was supposed to turn into this all-star. It never worked out, but like, I, I would be happy to have him on the Nets. Yeah, I mean, I think his three-point shot is still capable enough. Um, I know that per Cranji's McBasketball, um, the B-ball index, Batum this season in the wing-stopper role had A, matchup difficulty, A, uh, defensive positional versatility, A for pickpocket rating, a B slash A for impact in the defensive Raptor rating, and strong on and off ball defense. Seems like a lot of things that could make sense for the Brooklyn Nets. I think that an, another team would likely swoop in on it, but maybe Sean Marks can work his magic. Six and nine, maybe... you know, like you you like the height. He can really play the three or four, and he has a veteran IQ. And like you said, Jack, you just read off all those great you know grades for him. He didn't play a ton this season, only twenty two games, but like. I don't know. It kind of almost makes too much sense. And if they can get him for veteran minimum, which I think he would sign for because, like, my man cashed out, like, with his last contract with Charlotte, I would be pretty happy about it. I'd be probably – I don't know if I'd – I mean, like, Batum's a little bit more of a mystery, so I can't say I'd be happier than Jeff Green, but I could see it end up being a better signing. I would – I hope TLC is friends with him. Oh, um, yeah, that, French Connection. I hope that French Connection is, is alive and strong. So I feel like fing, the Nets probably have, like, some French, you know, front office or, you know, training or something. I know that their, like, uh, entire staff is diversified across the world. Like, they have multiple people from international locations, so. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's probably connections in, in Dallas. You know, they've got a, a massive Euro connection there with, with a lot of guys on their roster. You know, I, I think Batum could, could be a, a nice value add now. Whether he's completely washed for a vet minimum, you know, it, it's certainly worth a try. In case you, you wait, and you sign somebody else. Yeah, because like you know, TLC, Batum, Green, I feel a bit more comfortable than I did last season with the likes of Rodion's Toy and Prince and Wilson Chandler. I, I think those three, uh, it's not necessarily they give the you most options. Com- you know, multiple yeah. bodies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, any other questions in here? Oh, yeah, uh, at BKN underscore says. You guys think that Mike Beasley and Jamal Crawford come back from the bubble opportunity? Talked about that on a previous pod, and I do also want to shout out Joe Money McCarr, who's been on the pod before. He mentioned a Jamal Crawford as a free agent target on his otgbasketball.com piece. I think out of those two, Nick, we've said it before, we'll say it here on the stream, Jamal Crawford the more likely? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Jamal Crawford's not coming to play. He's coming to be a veteran leader for that locker room and maybe getting some minutes of blowouts. Michael Beasley, you need to fill that spot with a player that actually can play, especially if you're not able to get the premium defender. Like, you need to have multiple okay defenders like we just kind of discussed to fill in that role, and Michael Beasley is just not a guy that really helps his team in a way that they need. Yeah, it's 
it, 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 it moves around the fringes, and to me, Jamal Crawford, better locker room piece than Michael Beasley would be. Michael Beasley, probably better relationship with Kevin Durant. But, you know, Kevin Durant's got Jeff Green for that, and Jeff yeah. Green can still play basketball. So that's He's got Kyrie, he's got DeAndre Jordan, he's got plenty. Royal Ivy. Plenty, plenty, plenty of mates, and to be honest, I'd probably prefer Andre Roberson over, over Michael Beasley, um, and that's not saying much, to, to be honest. I probably would too, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Nets uh, at NBA Asians, uh, the Nets have way too many guards. Kyrie, Brown, Levert, Dinwi, Harris, Shamit. One or two should be traded right. Um, yeah, look, we've spoken about it before. Um, I think that there is some sort of move where you know, to solidify the roster um, in, in some form or another. We haven't spoken much about Shamit and Brown. We have a little bit on this pod. You know, We might dive deep into them a little bit more, but what the Nets did on draft night. And if you are looking for more information on that, Nick's done some some great deep dive pods with some, some good clippers and Detroit people. Um, so check out the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes for that one. Um, Jack, I'll other... ask you a question. Which, out of the guards mentioned, who is the most likely one to be traded? Uh, Dinwiddie. Yep. It's almost... Set in stone. Do you think um, that it meant anything when uh, Sean Marks didn't mention his name when he said, I think yeah. it was like Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, Karis Levert, and I think he even said Jared Allen, and he didn't say Spencer Dinwiddie, which I thought was a little weird, especially because Spencer's kind of been a big piece of this team, and I feel like he's mentioned him in the past, So, and we've seen his cryptic tweets, and I mentioned the stuff with Dallas and other Western Conference teams having interest, so like, and it, it's the piece that makes the most sense to trade, give it excuse me, the contract and stuff like that, because we talked about Karis Avert, his contract still having him for another year, two years, and then the number you have him at, and then also the potential, where, you know, Dinwiddie doesn't necessarily have any more potential, but he's a really, really good player. Absolutely. So um, it'll be something to, to watch and wait and see on. Um, yeah, so the draft stuff was awesome. I'm, I'm really excited. to. I, I think that what the Nets did at the draft was good, even though, um, we didn't get Josh Green. He was one pick away, Nick, one pick away. We, I mean, um, they had that... a lot of options for the rookies in which we discussed on the draft target spot that we did with Alec, which was great. It was kind of, I guess, a waste of time because they weren't going to keep their first-round pick. <laughs> but it was... It's never a waste of time, Nick. What are you talking about? I mean, mate? it's still we got scouting reports on these guys when the Nets play them, so that was kind of cool. But, um, yeah. yeah, you know, the Nets just went with a sure thing, and this is how I feel about every move they've kind of made. It's like we want the sure thing. We know that we're competing for a championship. We do not need to have a player like Musa on this roster that's not really going to do anything for a championship team we don't need a rookie because the rookie is probably not going to be able to provide yeah. anything in year one and they're able to trade it for a player in Landry Shamit who I really like I liked him even before he went to the Clippers I liked him in Philadelphia and you and I talked about him a lot I think when he was in Philadelphia it's just like wow this is a guy that's a really good fit on that team didn't expect him to get traded things didn't work out as good as with the Clippers which you can hear on that podcast for reasons why but I think with the Nets he was excited to come here you saw the video like you know, 10 minutes after he was traded playing uh, Empire State of Mind. So it was just like, okay, like this dude is excited. He wants to win a championship. And I was low-key impressed with some of his clutch shots he hit in his short two-year career. Yeah, I like him a lot. I think he's going to – and I think he's got some some height and peskiness as a defender yeah. that don't make him necessarily a sieve on that side of the floor like a – you know, some other sort of, you know, maybe like more a Seth Curry, even though I thought Seth Curry was, was okay. Yeah, um, Robert described it as an inconsistent defense where he showcases games where he can almost be a lockdown defender. Like, he did a good job defending Steph Curry in the postseason a year ago, but then there's other games where he gets kind of lost. Just kind of being a young player and not really having that muscle yet. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we've got some more questions, Nick. Um, at BHA Fred one thoughts on Reggie Perry. From the, the podcast that I've listened to, um, and some of the pieces that I've read seems to me like a, a, a really physical and productive big guy. Yeah. And, you know, a bit of a sort of sleeper in the draft. 
you know, there's actually pictures going around of him going up against uh, Nicholas Claxton in, in oh, college. I never saw you those, know, yeah. Yeah, I, I, he, I can't remember what team he, the net, so just looking at pieces, he's an SEC big man, um, so, and he played for, out of Mississippi State, went pick 57, you know, 6'10 guy, you know, there's, it, look, Jonathan Gavoni said on Zach Lowe's podcast that people are a little bit scared about him because of his attitude. He played a bit selfishly at Mississippi State. He's a bit of a rough dude, but that guy can play. He's athletic, strong scoring instincts, and he was a big-time player in the SEC as a sophomore. Some players had him, um, some mocks had him going as as high as 38 and 30. So I think the Nets got a little bit of a steal there, and um, I, I like it. Um, as just a guy to have on the roster, and if the the G League happens to to continue in some form or another, I think he would flourish in that environment. Can't hurt to just take yeah. a flyer on a guy who's got upside, and that's and what I you're think, doing at 57, anyways. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, and look, all ups to him. I, I don't know how much game time he'll get, but to hear that from the like of some pretty smart dudes when it comes to the draft, um, it, it's certainly positive. Don't know, obviously, the Nets have a, a plenty of, of bigs, but like if Jared Allen goes, if Claxton were to be I in I think in that a he's most likely to sign a two-way contract and play with the G League. Like, I, you, yep. know, you know, and maybe get some minutes up top, you know, with the the Nets, but, like, I think it's more likely it's a, a long-term develop type of thing where, like, hey, he's probably not anything yet, but, like, we've seen the Nets have some success with the young guys. Yep, a um, couple more pinch hitters. Uh, if you guys have any final questions, we're going to be finishing this one up kind of soon. But the final pinch hitters I wanted to do, Nick, was Nets offering the qualifying offer for Chris Gioza. Happy birthday to Cheese as well. Yeah. Um, I think he's turning 25, I yep. think, today. Um, so happy birthday to the like big I feel like 25's fella. a really terrible birthday, too. It's like <laughs> when you're, like, caught in between about what... Well, I mean, he knows what he's going to do with his life because he's an NBA player. But for most people, it's like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> like, uh, 30, man. Uh, trust me on that one. Um <laughs> Birthdays in in quarantine and in lockdown aren't the most fun either. So hopefully Chris Jones had a lot of fun and you know good to see him get that qualifying offer. He certainly did deserve it and well, he he did a lot of work to the latter points of the season, including in Orlando, to really solidify himself as a as a possible future NBA player uh, for a certain amount of time. Garrett Temple, Prez, salute to the Prez. I saluted him on the outlet free agency show. I'll salute him again here. Hope he does some good things in Chicago, yep. mentoring some of the young fellas there. Got a one-year, five million dollar deal to him. Absolutely awesome. And Theo Pinson had his team option declined by the Knicks. So hopefully Theo's dancing somewhere, whether it's uh, overseas. Just send him back and... to the G League Nets. <laughs> yeah, come on, let's bring him back. Let's get him on the bench again. He's always a good fun. Any final thoughts you wanted to add on those guys, Nick? And um, I'll check the the comments for for any final questions. No, I just mentioned the Cristioza thing. You know, it doesn't guarantee he's going to come back. They can rescind that qualifying offer. I would assume they have like up to ten days to do it. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it's good insurance if they do trade. Spencer doing here they trade for James Harden this is a guy they can bring in that knows a little bit about the system and you know shown flash to be an elite NBA passer just didn't really showcase anything else yeah good point um shout out to Garrett Temple again I've always been a massive fan some really good moments from him he just great seems like leader. a great person great person great leader you know part of the players association for good reason clearly um, is going to be doing a lot of good things in Chicago on and off the court. So um, Nets favorite uh, here at the Brooklyn Buzz, that is for sure. Uh, every single person who jumped in the chat jumped on to view us. Um, absolutely awesome. Uh, final, final one. We've got a, a quick late hit one here, Nick. Uh, at MCM Cav, if a Barker is signed and Allen eventually traded, who starts at center? Uh, it's a Barker, or is, it, or is it Barker starting at the four and DeAndre starting at the five? What do you think, Nick? 
I mean, they could theoretically do that and just do one of those things where you make a sub like three minutes into the game and put in like a power forward. You know what I mean? Like putting a, a more a lineup that makes more sense from a spacing or just like fit perspective. I mean, I think Ibaka definitely is more of a five. It'd be tough. I honestly don't know. I feel like they'd maybe start Ibaka, but like DeAndre's been kind of complaining about that in the past. Ibaka's been willing to come off the bench. All I know is I want to give Ibaka more minutes and I want to give DeAndre Jordan. I don't really care who starts. <laughs> Yeah, it could be a, a, a sort of center by committee like it was in Toronto, but obviously... In last Nick year knows. in Brooklyn, even. <laughs> yeah, in last year in Brooklyn, exactly. So, we'll wait and see on that. Uh, before we got that last question, I was about to thank everyone. I'll yeah. thank everyone again. Everyone in the chat, everyone watching along. Um, we might keep doing a couple of these ones, especially in the off-season, because it's good to interact with all the people and good to just do these sort of live ones. They're always a, a good the bit of fun. The questions are amazing. I mean, it just makes it fantastic. so much more interesting and it just provides a different perspective and we appreciate that. And like we've said in the past, if even if it's for a podcast, feel free to shoot us a tweet at OTGNick at the JMANJBT. And like Jack said, we appreciate you taking the time to watch, listen, and whatever it is on the stream or on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.